HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden, a beautiful handcrafted agricultural journal. Subscribe today at southernfarmandgarden.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And you, of course, have tuned into another episode of The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today in the studio, um, we are joined by the one and only founder of Whole Foods Market, um, John Mackey. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Erin. Great to be here. So... uh, You are in New York uh, talking about your brand new book, which just launched on Tuesday, called Whole Foods Diet. Congratulations. Thank you. This is the second book, right? My second book, I also wrote, uh, co-authored Conscious Capitalism. I do want to touch on that a little bit later, but I want to start out with a question. So um, one of the things that I think is interesting about what you're attempting to do in this book is really a kind of distillation of all of the information that's out there about what we should eat and how we should eat it, what diet plan, how to think about it, how to kind of uh, eat for the health of ourselves, the health of our planet. Um, And I think we're definitely not living in an age where there's like not enough information. It's kind of the opposite. There's just so much that people kind of can't keep up with. And when I think about this problem, I think of I often think of this like moment a couple of years ago. I was I'm originally from Michigan and I was back in the Midwest hanging out with my sister or my brother's girlfriend and we were at a Myers and she was doing grocery shopping for herself for the week. And as we're kind of like meandering through the rows, I'm like watching her shop and she's got, you know, uh probiotic added yogurt, you know, endorsed by Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, lean cuisine, Stouffer's pizzas, and, you know, a couple of apples and some baby carrots. And I can tell, you know, this is a woman, she's uh, studying to be a pharmacist, well-educated, 
you know, able to invest some time and effort into her groceries, wants to be healthy, wants to be diet conscious and everything in her cart really kind of reflected that desire. But it also was like a cart full of junk food. (laughs) And I, you know, I really like stopped because here's a person who is like really trying and totally failing. And so I'm hoping that your book is going to save us from this problem. But I'm wondering, like, why do you think that happens? Why are people so confused? Yeah. Uh, It's semi-complex. For one thing, uh, there's so many, so much contradictory information out there. It's easy for anyone to express opinions about food. And very few people do very much research. So most opinions are not particularly well-grounded in science. And anybody can put themselves out as an expert on, uh, on food. And, and secondly, and the people naturally have a, a bias to want to believe good things about their bad habits. <laughs> Guilty. Yes. So they... When they hear or read things that reinforce their beliefs, they tend to give that a lot more credence than when they read things about uh, their habits that aren't that indicate they may not be very healthy. They tend to reject that information. And one of the things we identify in the book that that one of the sources of the real problems is is that the way humans have evolved, we have evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. I mean, if you go back to our our primate uh, ancestry today, the chimpanzees and the bonobos and the gorillas are who we share the most uh, closest uh, DNA, most DNA with and the more similar digestive tracts. And and those primates are, I mean, they eat 100% real food and they eat mostly plants. I mean, gorillas are uh, they're 100% plant-based, and the bonobos and chimpanzees are about 95% plant-based. And then, what, and then when we began to branch away, we did begin to eat probably higher amounts of animal foods when we could get them. Right. But the way we evolved is eating very high-fiber foods that weren't very calorie-dense, Calorie density was very rare in our evolutionary heritage. So that, yeah, sure, when we could, fruits tasted sweet, and that was an indicator of ripeness and also calorie density. Uh, If they could get a a, a deer or they could pull down an uh, an animal, then they couldn't really refrigerate it. They could maybe smoke it or salt it. But mostly they feasted on it while they had it. And that was a different kind of meat than what we eat today. It was definitely a much leaner meat. That uh, with animals that were out in the wild as opposed to corn-fed animals or, or that are just sitting around eating all day. And, right. And so we have a bias towards calorie density because for most of our evolutionary history, we were just up against it. We couldn't get enough calories. This whole idea of being overweight or obese or... Uh, this doesn't happen. Because there was like chubbiness is a new construct. It, it really is. It's pretty, and you know, right now, for the first time in the history of the world, there are actually more people that are overweight than there are underweight. In other words, the challenge that humanity collectively has, I'm not saying there's nobody not hungry out there, sure. but collectively, 
calories are more available today than at any other time in our history. But what we're starving for are not more calories, but for more nutrients. Because, because we crave calorie-dense foods, we are very susceptible to things that are sweet and things that are fatty and things that have a lot of protein in them and things that have a lot of salt in them because salt was also relatively scarce in our evolutionary history. So we, we're, we get addicted to those things that produce a lot of calories. And, and so then we have biases to support those addictions. So people, for example, want to believe that, um, well, eating really a lot of fat is good for them, or they want to believe that uh, eating... Uh, quite a bit of animal foods, for example, is probably good for them because they enjoy it, it tastes good, and they need protein, and this is good, and the caveman ate it, and blah, 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 blah. So I think calorie density is really key here, and I don't think most people understand that, that the kind of foods we evolved eating were not very calorie dense, but what they were were they were fiber dense and nutrient dense, and when we eat that way today, when we eat... Uh, lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, beans, uh, uh, that have a lot of fiber and a lot of nutrients, then our bodies tend to flourish and be very healthy. Well, one of the ar- compelling arguments in the introduction of the book you're, you're talking about, um, you know, if you're kind of limiting the, the scope of foods so that you're, so you're eating less kind of animal products, that you have to worry less about portion control or other issues yeah. kind of take care of themselves. Um, so you can kind of like take one worry kind of off the table. But um, I guess I, I guess I feel like one of the things that that we don't talk about enough is is why it's not easy. Like I, I feel people are always like, oh, it's easy to eat this way. Like it's not there's no like earth shattering news in this book. I'm not like, oh, my God, you know, plants are better for you and like less animal proteins and and eating a v- variety of foods, um, but there's a little bit of the like the why, the, not the why, but like the how of it. Like what's kind of getting in the way. Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about you know you do include a diet plan in the book, and was that an obvious choice to you? Like from the beginning, you're like we have to kind of essentially give people better tools to do the things that they're trying to do, or did that well, come later? Well, I mean, first. Uh, if you look at the way we organized the book, first we we talk about, we synthesize the, the scientific information as we find it. We really tried to ground this book in science, but we didn't want to make it too technical. So Because you want people to read it. We want people yeah. to read it. It's very approachable. Uh, we think the narrative flows well. We, we have Whole Foodie heroes, and we tell lots of stories of people that have shifted to the Whole Foods diet and how their, their health transformed their health. Uh, and then in the second part, we realize that people making a transition can be difficult because really people have serious food addictions. We really are addicted to our food, and uh, that's why it's so hard for people to shift. Even when they know they should eat a healthier diet, they think all pleasure will be lost. Life will not be worth living right. if I can't. Right, it's a I black can't. and white trade-off. That's right. Yeah. And of course it's not, and we, we spend a lot of time in the book explaining how to make the transition. And I think probably the big insight there is is that our palates evolve. We enjoy whatever food we habituate ourselves to eat. I mean, I have taught myself to eat food, healthy food after healthy food after healthy food that I didn't like when I first tasted it. I mean, a great example might be kale. 
I did not like kale. Kale was like, something. The whole food CEO comes out as anti kale. Like, dun dun dun. Well, I mean, for most of the time when Whole Foods was using kale, we weren't. Nobody was eating it. We, yeah. We had it in the in the meat department, just giving color contrast. Yeah. De- decoratively, that's correct. <laughs> but so, kale is a typical example of okay. Well, first time I'd eat, it's like you know, I, I don't really like this. It's supposed to be so good for me. I think I'm just going to try to see if I can, you know, learn to like it. Sure. And after I'd eaten it a few times, it was kind of like, you know, I don't really like this, but I, I can eat it. And I, I, I it's okay. Yeah. I can do it. And then the next stage was, you know, this really isn't that bad. It's kind of pretty good. It's got a kind of an interesting flavor to it until you get to the final stage, which is like I had kale for lunch today. Yum. I love kale. Right. I re-educated my palate. And an an analogy that I think some people can understand, let's say you decide that you're going to get fit Mm -hmm. and you're going to start running or you're going to go to the gym and you start working out with weights. First time you go do that, you're going to be like super sore Yeah. because your body's not used to it. And and you're going to, and you could easily say, you know, I tried running. It wasn't for me. I was really sore or I went to the gym. I lifted weights and I don't think that's the thing for me because the next day I was really sore. Well, yeah, if you quit right then, you're not going to get the benefits of the running or the lifting weights. And yoga is the same way. Any, any type of exercise when we're using our muscles in unaccustomed ways is going to be relatively unpleasant. But if we persevere, our bodies adapt and we get fitter and we feel better. And it's really good that we did that. It's no different with food. It's kind of like you have to get your palate in shape. You have to be able to persevere from the initial slightly unpleasantness. And so what I can promise you is that you can learn to enjoy and crave and love the healthiest foods in the world. Right. So why not teach yourself to really enjoy the foods that you know are really good for your body? Why not re-educate your palate to, so that you can be absolutely as healthy as possible? That's what I have done, and that's what I know many, many other people have done as well. And I think, too, you know, you have had your own kind of personal, like, diet transition. I mean, it's not like you grew up eating super whole food oriented meals. And so I know that you grew up kind of in a traditional, uh, you know, kind of American uh, diet and you made kind of a transition when you you were living in like a vegan co-op. Is that right? Or vegetarian co-op? Well, when I moved in the vegetarian co-op, I'd never even heard the word vegan. Okay. That really did not come into the vernacular until about 20 years later. Uh, So vegetarian was pretty radical back in the 70s. I think it was radical. Like when I was, there was not a single vegetarian that I knew growing up. And I didn't meet my first vegan until I was in college. This guy, Carlos, who lived across the hall, and I would knock on his door because I just didn't get it. I was like... What about like honey or what about like leather or what about like I couldn't wrap my head around it. And, you know, that's like not that long. I mean, not that long ago. So, yeah, I think that there's still definitely like I still feel that when I go home, I'm like I said, from northern Michigan, like people are still like, I don't understand. (laughs) Like, Well, I mean, I think we're having cultural evolution. So. I mean, this, if you're a lover of food, if you're a foodie, this is like the, this is the glory the time. Golden age, it's yeah. the golden age. There's more, yeah, like you have, just think about all the different artists and craft stuff that's happening. And this is what your radio show partly features. There's so many interesting things happening. I mean, 
the number of craft breweries that pop up around any any urban center now, or the number of farmers markets that's happening, and so many food entrepreneurs are occurring. I mean, the food trucks barely existed 10 years ago. Now, I mean, it's like they're everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of that golden age. It's very exciting. It's hard to even keep up with it. It's uh, hard to find any space, actually, where you're not being offered food. Like, I at the Staples the other day, and they have a whole, like, snack section. I'm like, why do I? I mean... I want to go back to something you yeah. touched on, but I didn't get a chance to yeah, comment on it. Yeah, go. So I think in some ways Michael Pollan, who's, you know, of course, one of the... We, we recognize him as a whole foodie hero in our book, and he's he's been one of the prophets of the age, so to speak. And, you know, Michael kind of summed up his philosophy and is eat food. And, of course, what he meant is real food or whole foods. Yep. Um, Mostly plants, not too much. Exactly. So our book canonizes those first two rules. Eat real food, mostly plants. Uh, But we disagree with the third one, which is if you're truly eating uh, real foods that are mostly plants, you don't have to portion control. You can eat as much as you want. You can eat till you're very much, very full. I eat till I'm full every meal. Right. Because... I'm eating such a high-fiber diet. I'm not eating a calorie-dense diet. I'm eating a nutrient-dense diet. And so I get full and satisfied, but, uh, I mean, I weigh the same as I weighed when I was 18 years old, and I'm 63 now. So it's that's the great thing. That's that's one of the great trade-offs. Not only do I love to eat, right? but and I'm eating super healthy food, and I'm always satisfied. I never feel like I'm... De- depriving myself or denying myself or making some massive massive sacrifice. So once you adapt to this type of diet, you get the pleasure of eating large quantities of food all the time. <laughs> Which is a, pla- I feel like that is like another like bastion of my childhood. It was like the big plate. Like I, eat, I eat big plates. <laughs> yeah. I eat big plates of food because I need to. I know I have to, my challenge is to get enough calories. Right. This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden a beautiful handcrafted agricultural journal. Each issue features stories about food history, seasonal recipes, artisanal products, and the amazing people who bring it to your table. Packed with stunning photography, the content is fresh and educational. Southern Farm and Garden takes you behind the scenes to meet farmers, gardeners, wineries, chefs, and artists who are passionate about creating healthy, unique, and sustainable food and products that you can enjoy all year. Are you interested in eating healthier and learning more about where your food comes from and living a more connected life? Subscribe today to southernfarmandgarden.com. Foodtank.com names Southern Farm and Garden one of the top 20 magazines for people who eat, cook, and grow, praising it for connecting readers with the food, the farms, and the stories behind our food system. Subscribe today or find a retailer near you at southernfarmandgarden.com. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. So, um... I, I noticed in the press release that you originally sent out that you guys included a, co- a quote from Peter Singer, which I thought was like an interesting choice. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, in the book, you are definitely advocating for a primarily plant-based diet. You put, 
you know, if you're going to eat meat or animal products, you say, you know, keep it around 10%. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the tension between kind of the ethics of eating animal proteins or, or you know, animal foods and the, as, as compared to kind of the health pluses and minuses like how do you navigate the two because i feel like people get scared when you're like telling them that they can't have meat anymore like they're like wait you know this guy's trying to take my hamburger but that's not i mean are you well uh no because what we do in the book is first of all we we wanted to center the book around the best scientific knowledge we have around health and i don't think the science supports a 0% uh, animal foods diet versus a 5% or 10%. The science just isn't there. I mean, one of the best examples is uh, the Blue Zones. Dan Buettner's incredible work where he identified five places on the planet that had the the longest lives, the most people over 100, and those are uh, Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Italy, uh, Ikaria, Greece, Coast, Nicoya, Costa Rica, and Loma Linda, California, which oh, is... Oh, I didn't mo- know that. Those last two I was not familiar with. Yes. So what Dan found is that, guess what? Everyone in the Blue Zones is... Not everyone, but the, the long-lived people are eating the Whole Foods diet. They're eating 100% real foods, and they're eating about 90% plant-based on average. They're, on average, they eat about 10% animal foods. So now, I am personally... A vegan, the two co-authors, the doctors, uh, Matt Letterman and Alona Polde, that co-authored the book, and they were seen in the film uh, Forks Over Knives, mm-hmm. They're the doctors behind that. Uh, they are also both vegan. And so, but we wanted to make sure that people understood that we weren't trying to just advocate a vegan diet, that it's from a health standpoint, you can eat a little bit of animal food and you're going to be okay, particularly if you're eating real animal foods. You know, I mean, like wild-caught fish and grass-fed beef and pasture-raised chickens and things like that. In Chapter 13 in the book, I make a personal statement of why I am an ethical vegan and why, and I invite people to join. But So we wanted to make a distinction between the health aspects and the ethical aspects, and we do that in the book. It's like separate but equal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I think that's actually one of the like things that um, I've always appreciated about Whole Foods, in particular, looking at the way the the uh, you know I'm talking about the grocery store Whole Foods deals with proteins, you know, fish or an- animal proteins, um, in having like multiple steps and ratings because I right. think there is, in the same way as an individual. Um, I just don't think that like kind of a cold turkey transition works for most people. It's like you kind of want to create like stages of transition. And I think also for producers, one of the things that I think is really interesting is in in the way that you guys rate your your meats is like if a producer is interested in transitioning the their animal husbandry, they get kind of credit along the way for that. And so can you talk a little bit about like the how to like sustain yourself through the transition. Like what happens when I, a friend invites me to like go out for drinks at Roberta's or I'm going out to dinner or I'm going to the movies or like, you know, my life doesn't exist, um, you know, in my home, in my kitchen, my life exists in all these different spaces that food is often a part of. So how do I handle that? Uh, those are very good questions. And of course we have a few chapters in the book that deals with those particular questions in some detail. 
I think the, the main thing I would say is that there are some people who uh, do go cold turkey and they never look back. They, I admire those people. Well, I, I do too. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually not one of those <laughs> people neither. myself. I mean, I've been on a, I've been on a journey towards greater health and greater food consciousness ever, you know, since I was like 23 years old. I had my first awakening when I was 23 and I'm still having awakenings. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still changing. And I do think it's a journey. And I don't think it's smart to judge other people and, and say that, I mean, sometimes food becomes like a religion for people. And, right. and if, you, if you're not in the true faith, then you're a heretic, and you actually should probably be burned at the stake for your heresies. Um, and I do think there's too much of that kind of judgment that goes around in, in food these days. And if you recognize, if you live your life with some compassion, and you realize everybody's on a journey, and it's not your job to be the food police and tell everybody how to eat, you can lighten up a lot. You, first, so you lead by example, and then recognize that, that I mean, you Life is not this straight line. I think spiral is a better metaphor. You take three steps forward, yeah. and then you take a step backwards, take a step forward, two steps backward. And, I mean, yeah, we're, you're going to fall off the wagon some. I mean, I do. I don't fall off the wagon on the vegan part because I am an ethical vegan, and I go to great lengths to try to, to, honor, to that. Be, honor that. Yeah. But, I mean, the, we recommend against eating processed foods in there. And do I occasionally eat processed foods? Well, yeah, What do, do you eat? What's your kind of, People like... People always want to know where my sins are. I know. It's, it's, uh, well, I'm like, I'm like, ah, for me, it's like potato chips and pizza, which I'm like, I feel like, I, like at my heart, it's like all that kind of classic American junk food. Well, I don't have a problem with potato chips, <laughs> but I uh, got, I really, I've weaned myself all those for life. But uh, do I eat occasionally eat pizza? I, I mean, I do. It's going to be a vegan pizza. I'm going to try to get a whole, a whole, uh, a whole grain crust. Yeah, yeah. Either either whole wheat or, or if I'm trying to avoid gluten because my wife's gluten sensitive, then maybe it'll be corn. Um, and but then you can do it either. I mean, there's lots of interesting ways you can make vegan pizzas. And sometimes I make them with hummus. And hummus makes an incredibly because you need a little fat on it. Yeah. So the hummus makes a good, healthy uh, fat on that. Even if you don't have any oil in the hummus, you might you'll have tahini in it, or you can put avocado on it after it's cooked, and that's really delicious. Uh, or you can do some vegan cheeses. Now, vegan cheeses have been kind of crummy for a long time, but there've been great progress made in the last few years. Like Kite Hill, for example, is turning out delicious almond milk based vegan cheeses and that the only ingredients they have are almond milk culture and a little bit of salt and i mean i don't know i don't remember what real cheese tasted like but <laughs> this stuff's really good so <laughs> like it's worth you're like i'm you're not i guess your point being you're like i'm not walking around feeling i'm not deprived feeling deprived and like oh i wish i wanted to or if i, I, I want to have some chocolate for example you can whip up a whole like one of my favorite desserts is you get your Vitamix, your high-speed blender, you throw in an avocado, you put in some uh, organic cocoa powder, you put in a little bit of uh, unsweetened uh, nut milk of some kind, and, and you take some dates and you put that in, maybe a little vanilla extract, melt it all together, mix it all together, and you, you got instant, delicious, incredible chocolate pudding or chocolate mousse and throw some berries in there, and you actually have a healthy, delicious dessert that gets my chocolate craving, craving. covered. Taking so I think there's always, if I crave ice cream, for example, it's so easy to just take some frozen fruit, some organic cherries or peaches or mangoes, again, mix it with a little bit of uh, 
unsweetened uh, almond milk. Throw a date or two in there if you want to make it a little bit sweeter. Mix it up in the blender. And voila! I've got a super healthy ice cream that, uh, to me, satisfies perfectly. Because, for one thing, my palate has evolved. Things that are, like, super sweet Get real are super sweet. sweet. Yeah. They're too sweet. Things that have too much oil in them. They're take greasy. I don't like them. Yeah. So I don't crave those foods anymore because my, my body's kind of tuned to a different uh, satisfaction level, you might say. A frequency. But, I mean, when I travel, like I'm in New York. I live in Austin, so I'm in New York talking to you right now. And, I mean, I'm going to have I'm gonna have vegan food tonight. But I'm probably it's probably going to be a little bit of oil in it. Yeah. And because uh, it's just so hard to get everything I want all the time. And if I call ahead, I can do it, but frequently I can't. And as long as it's hundred percent plant-based for me, I'll indulge a little bit when I'm on the road. On the other pieces. But then I'll probably have two super healthy meals the rest of the day. Like today for breakfast, I had steel cut oats and berries. And, uh, for lunch I had a big salad. So yeah, certain yeah. meals I feel like are easier than others. And I, I think I did experiment a little bit in college with, I was like, I wonder what it would be like to be vegan. So I like went, I, you know, I did it for a couple of months and I thought I found actually the most challenging piece of it for me was that I really had to like be thinking ahead, you know, about what I was going to be because the kind of just grab and go options or just being out and about, they weren't, you know, but I think that's changed quite it a bit. It's changed yeah. a lot, but it's still largely true. I mean, I go to restaurants all the time when there's absolutely nothing on the menu, nothing that is 100% plant-based. So uh, those are restaurants that are bad choices for me. So I always want to make sure if you go to like a, if you go to a Chinese, Thai, Indian, uh, Korean, you can always get, it's easy to get 100% plant-based food. Uh, Aaron, something I want to—I uh, really want to emphasize here because this is commonly misunderstood. If we're talking about optimizing your health, the most important thing to do is stop eating all the processed foods, yeah. all the sugar, all the oil, the potato chips, the foods that you get in bags, and, are, and are, they're just not. Those, the, they just, the nutrient density in those foods is basically nothing, and so that's far more important than being a vegan. That's why we argue eat 100% real foods. Yep. If you want to eat a little bit of animal foods, get really healthy animal foods like well-caught fish and, and grass-fed beef and things like that. And that's going to be a, that's going to be a super healthy diet. If you get start getting your animal foods up too high, then over the long term, I think the science shows that your risk for heart disease and cancer starts to go up. But uh, it's really mostly eating real foods. And the reason I want to kind of underscore that is because even on this tour so far, is people always jump to the vegan thing. Sure, yeah. Obviously because I'm a vegan and they want to... I know so many unhealthy vegans... <laughs> they really want to like, the, well, it's like that weird. Because they eat junk food. They're that, junk food yeah, vegans. They're junk food vegans. It's like also that weird, uh, I, get, I think, you know, coming back to where we started the show, you're talking about our desire to be like predisposed for things that like serve. Calorie dense. Serve, well, and also like to, and that like serve our impression so that, you know, I can, if I equate like eating a whole foods diet with being a vegan it's easier to be like dismissive of it in a certain way. You're like, oh, it's just like too extreme. It's too out there. Right. And you're like, oh, you're kind of missing the whole point of, of what you're at. No, you're out here talking about. If, if you're on the journey and the health journey, then it could be that over time, as your palate adapts and you don't crave animal foods as much, that it's not going to prove to be a big sacrifice to just, you know, cut more of them out. 
Uh, when I went from being a, a pescatarian, vegetarian pescatarian, to being a vegan, it wasn't a huge transition because I didn't eat that many animal foods at that time. So just right. letting go of the last few ones was not a big deal. But if I was scarfing down like the average American, 34% of my calories every day in animal foods, that's very hard to just go cold turkey on that. But if they cut back first to 25 or they did meatless Mondays, they're, they're actually re-educating their palate, whether they're conscious of it or not. And then their taste buds will change. Their, their digestive system will change. Their microbiome in their gut will change. Well, I think if you, I think too, we spent a lot of time, I feel like, talking about the kind of areas of like change and sacrifice. But I don't, there's also, you know, one, I want to reiterate, you weigh the same as you weighed in high school. You know, the longevity, you get, live a longer life. You're, uh, I, I would say too, you know, if you're eating a well-balanced diet, your mood is more stable, like your mental health is better, your physical health is better. Um, that's an underrated fact, by yeah. the way. There's a lot of scientific evidence that's coming out that say that people that eat a healthier diet tend to be more optimistic and cheerful. And it's, it's not rocket science. They feel better. Yep. When you feel better, it's easier to, to be positive about everything that you're experiencing. I really notice that when I'm on the road and I don't have as much control over my diet that I'm like, oh, man, I kind of feel like yucky. And I'm like, if I ate like this, I'm like, no wonder people are down. If I ate like this all the time, I would have a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I know that we are um, coming towards the end of our time here. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on like one final and a little bit of a big picture question. Um, I think, you know, people, I, I, I love what you said at the beginning that, you know, everyone can be presented as an expert in food mm. these days. You know, it's like, well, we're all eaters. So, like, I have agency. Like, I know stuff. <laughs> um, and when it comes to, like, really thinking about kind of uh, hard science, um, obviously, like, my opinion about, uh, my opinion is not that. My, like, knowing of my, like, one vegan friend or my one paleo friend it does not, a, like, you know, concise theory make. Um, but I do find people like yourself who are in a position of like both prominence and authority, you know, folks want you to be, uh, kind of the, uh, on top of all the parts of eating. So there's, we've talked today predominantly about kind of the health and nutrition piece, but there's also the impacts on the planet, the right. economics. And I don't want to, I don't want to completely ignore those pieces, but I'm wondering, um, you know, how those other, all those other factors, uh, the, you know, of access, um, factor into the approach that you kind of talk about in the book. I mean, there's a couple of important points to make. So from, uh, obviously I've made, already made the argument or didn't make it, but it's implied that uh, eating a, more of a plant-based diet is a more ethical diet. You're, you're causing less suffering, less unnecessary death. Um, that's, I cover that in some detail in Chapter 13 in the book. Um, and, but, of course, if you're thinking about the environment, uh, again, I mean, the amount of the greenhouse gases that we produce on this planet just for animal agriculture's 18% of total greenhouse gases are coming from the animal agriculture. That's more than all transportation combined. So if you really are want to be an environmentalist, you need to eat lower on the food chain. You need to uh, eat more of a plant-based diet, and you'll be more environmentally uh, uh, correct, and, and, and you'll be doing less harm. 
Regarding the cost of food is a question I'm asked frequently, I sure. suppose, because whole food is perceived as more expensive. Eating the healthiest diet in the world is not expensive at all. I mean, but you have to base it on mostly eating. You have to know how to cook. And you, you, have to, you have to base it primarily on a starch, a healthy starches like tubers, like sweet potatoes, potatoes, brown rice, quinoa, I mean, whole grains, quinoa, lots of beans. And one of the things people say is like, oh, you know, I can't eat beans. I get gas. It's like because you don't have the right microbiome. You don't have the right bacteria down there to digest them. But what will happen is you'll change your microbiome as you change your diet. I don't have any problem digesting beans. Right, just wait it out. Because I've got the right bacteria doing it. Yeah. And it's not expensive to eat brown rice and black beans. It's nothing. It's pennies. And then if you get vegetables that are in season... Uh, that at peak of freshness and nutritional value, they're also not that expensive. How expensive is is cabbage? It's not expensive. And so, yes, if you want to go for more esoteric foods or you want to get fancy prepared foods, uh, they're going to be more expensive. But this idea that you can't eat a healthy diet uh, and it's too expensive is wrong. It's not, it's not based on the facts. And, of course, we do have the fast food industry that's basically giving you very cheap calorie density with no nutrients. But if you were to, if you were to cost out, for example, plant-based foods on average have 64 times as many antioxidants as animal foods have. So if you're trying to eat for the, how do I get for the money? How do I get the most nutrients? That's going to be a real foods diet, a whole foods diet. That's going to be mostly plants and you can get calories cheap, but you're not getting the nutrients with it. So and you pe- pay for them in other parts. And down the road, yeah. your health care costs are going to be higher. Yeah. But it's seriously, you can eat the healthiest diet in the world for just a few dollars a day if you're willing to cook. Yep. I think that's a real thing, getting back in the kitchen and investing in those culinary skills. I, I think there's no shortcut to that. I mean, I think it's a thing that people kind of gloss over, but in, I think it's a space that you know used to be passed down generationally that is just not anymore and requires some, you know, education and effort. I mean, today, so far today, I had steel-cut oats for breakfast. Right. Made them in my room in a rice cooker before I did anything else today. You travel with a rice cooker? I travel with a rice cooker. All right. <laughs> and so how much did that really cost me? That, that's, that I mean, it's got a little thin cup of steel-cut oats. I spent about... 15 cents on breakfast. Well, you only Maybe make a dollar a year, man, so I know you got <laughs> to watch it. it. I got to stretch <laughs> it. Um, and then I had a salad for lunch. Now, I did buy that at Whole Foods Market, so that was already prepared for me, and so that cost me a few dollars. But if I had made that at home, it, it would have been less than a dollar. Yeah. I mean, or certainly not more than a buck and a half. So, and then if for dinner, I had a quinoa or in brown rice and I steamed up some veggies and I had a little bit of beans with it, maybe spending a buck on dinner. I mean, I'm, I'm spending like $3 a day on food. It's just not that expensive if you're willing to eat healthy foods and cook them and, 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 and prepare them yourselves. Yeah, I think that's the thing. You have, it's got to be a conscious decision and you have to be willing to invest that time. And you have her. to have the knowledge. So That's part of the thing. whole yeah. food access question is in our inner cities is people don't have the knowledge that they need in order to make good choices. 
So it, I know Whole Foods is doing some amazing stuff to try to help here. We have a, one of our foundations is called the Whole Kids Foundation, and we've given away over 5,000 salad bars to our schools, over 3,500 garden grants. Wow. We, do, we need nutrition education for teachers and the students, and we're giving access. Any school in America can get those from us. All you got to do is go on to the... All right, guys, you heard it. Yeah, just go on to, go on to Whole Kids. <laughs> like John uh, said, I, we can get a salad bar. Well, you can. <laughs> I mean, everybody that applies for it gets one. That's awesome. That's awesome. John, thank you so much. Good luck with the book. Thanks. Um, I feel like you, you know, one, Whole Foods has been a longtime supporter of the work we do here at Heritage Radio Network, but I can't even count the number of uh, friends of mine who are small scale, especially here in the New York metro area, small scale kind of artisanal producers of all different kinds of products who um, either work with Whole Foods currently or, or got their start there. And that kind of investment at the community level is, I think, a really interesting model that that you guys um, we're creating a new food system. It, it's, it's and we're it's and we're cool. and we're working we're working together and we're going to this this it's going to be a very different place in another 10 or 15 years. The number of food artisans that are getting more skilled and beginning to get more capital. I Understand mean, scaling. Exactly. Like, it's it's a it's a golden age. It I'm, is. I'm glad I'm able to participate in it. It's exciting and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Um, so get out there, guys. Check out check out the book. Um, stay tuned in. Um, maybe try and challenge yourself to the three dollar a day diet. I don't I don't know if I'd make it quite to three dollars, but I'd try and keep it under ten and kind of see where I can go from there. Um, it might be fun to experiment with a little bit. Um, you've made it through another episode of the Farm Report. Thank you so much for listening. This show, like all 34 of our weekly programs, is available for free. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please visit our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org, where you can sign up for our newsletter. And as you know, we are a nonprofit member-supported organization, so click that beating heart at the top right hand of the site and toss a couple buckets buckets a couple buckets of money or just a couple bucks our way thank you so much for listening stay tuned in thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.